Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. And I preached my dad's funeral, and I thank you for your prayers and support because it was absolutely the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my life. And uh, we drove home last night, and uh, I got home around midnight. Some people asked me, they said, why do you, why do you want to go home so bad? Because I'm going back Monday to help my mom with some stuff. And I just said, I just want to be with my church family. Now, don't worry. I, I didn't leave my mom unattended. She's got plenty of support. And I made sure before I left, is it okay to go home, Mom? She said yes. So thank you for everything. I, I will get through this because uh, I won't talk about this anymore. Uh, but thank you for all the love and support that we've received. Rodney already mentioned uh, next Sunday is Mother's Day and we've got a special treat. If you haven't got to hear my wife speak, you make sure you're here next week. It's going to be a great, great time. You don't want to miss it. Amen. Well, take a deep breath here. Two weeks ago was Easter Sunday and uh, because I had to be gone last Sunday, I didn't get a chance to celebrate with all of you, but what a great and beautiful day we had. Amen. I don't know about you, it feels like an eternity ago for me, but uh, it was a beautiful day. The kids loved the petting zoo, the Easter egg hunt, and I just wanted to stop and say thank you to everybody who worked so hard to make Easter such a great day at Life Church. Um, and, uh, and many of you brought friends, and by the way, if you're one of those friends, welcome back. Glad you're here. You have proven that you are smarter than the average person by coming back to Life Church. <laughs> now, on Easter Sunday, I preached a message called You Can't Keep a Good Man Down, and I talked about how the, the doubters couldn't keep Jesus down, the devil couldn't keep Jesus down, and that, thank God, death couldn't keep Jesus down. Amen? So here we are two weeks after Easter Sunday. Now, I assume that the peeps are all gone uh, most of the jelly beans and chocolate have been consumed. I was pleasantly surprised to arrive home last night at midnight and see about 30 jelly beans left in my jar. And uh, so I had a big old handful of jelly beans before I went to bed. I mean, you know, some people it's ice cream, it's jelly beans. Uh, Evan was helping me eat some of those last night too. Uh, people are now starting to think about summer. They're starting to think about school graduations. We got some people graduating around here. It's so exciting. And people are thinking about family vacation. But have you ever stopped to think about what happened with the disciples and with Jesus when Easter was over? What, you know, really went on after the biggest event in world history that took place? And, uh, you know, very few of us really enjoy the luxury of coming to the end of even our most productive work day and saying, it is finished. I'm through. I've accomplished everything that I set out to do. But did you know that is exactly what Jesus did? Instead, when we do something, we all know that we've got a long list of things that 
we probably hope to get done that never get done. I've got a task list app that I use on my phone, and just about the time I get all the tasks whittled down, I think of something else, and it's just a perpetuating cycle of things, and, and we never quite get done. Even on a great day, even on a productive day, if you stop and think about it, there's probably always something left to do. Maybe it's the garage that you intend to clean out every spring. <laughs> Maybe it's the closets that need to be decluttered or the attic that needs to be cleaned out. Maybe it's the junk drawer in the kitchen that no matter how many, I wish my wife was in here to hear me say this, no matter how many times I clean it out, it gets cluttered up again. I hope the Lord lets her hear that on tape. Amen. You know, but very seldom can we just sit back and fold our arms and say, I'm done. But Jesus actually did that. He said, it's finished I've done everything that I need to do. Look back at Jesus' resume. In the wilderness, he conquered sin and he humiliated the devil. He healed tons of people and he raised some dead folks along the way. On the cross, we know that he conquered death. In the grave, we understand that he conquered hell. And behind him was the persecution from men that he had to endure. Before him was the unending applause of of angels. And behind him was the cross. Before him was the crown. Behind him was Calvary. And before him was all of heaven's glory. But although his work on the cross was finished, it really didn't even end with the resurrection. The ascension of Jesus into heaven was just a continuation of his resurrection. And really it was the genesis of the great story of Christianity. Jesus really did die on the cross. He really was buried in a tomb. He really did physically rise from the dead. He really did ascend into heaven. But trust me, there were plenty that doubted what happened. And that leads me to my thought for today. You know, here lately I've been hearing a lot about this generation losing faith and no longer believing in the resurrection. The statistical evidence is staggering. And if it is true, hear me, Christianity is in trouble and we need a Holy Ghost revival to shake this world. Amen? We do. Even though I touched on it briefly in my Easter sermon, how do you prove a resurrection story to people who don't even believe that the Bible is true? You see, you can't use the because the Bible says so line of reasoning with people that don't even believe the Bible is true. You can barely today use historical evidence because modern news and social media and the revisionist history uh, people out there have caused us really to doubt everything, even non-religious history. Everything has come under, uh, under a suspicion because we don't believe anything anymore. Today's the day of fake news. And we now are having fake history. History's not really fake. It's just been revised by some fakes. Amen? So how do you convince a generation that has such a wide range of beliefs, but many of those beliefs don't include God? Well, here's my sermon today. Dealing with the doubters. Dealing with the doubters. Now, this message, I believe, is going to follow well what Pastor Pavey preached last week hand in hand. Now, before Jesus left and 
bodily form once and for all after the resurrection. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus stayed around for a while. I've got quite a bit of scripture here today. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Look at it. It says, in my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And notice, it says, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now notice that verse tells us why he stuck around. Really, it's two reasons. Number one, he stuck around so he could prove to many, many people that he was actually alive. And secondly, he stuck around because he still had to shore up a little kingdom business. He had to talk to them about some things pertaining to the kingdom of God so that they could carry on his work more effectively. Jesus stuck around to deal with the doubters. He did. He had tried to teach his disciples time and again that he was going to go away. He said, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'll be raised from the dead. And you know what the apostles did? The same thing that you and I usually do every time we hear about the talk of death. We try to ignore it. They, they, they didn't really want to believe that it was going to happen. They pretended that it wasn't there. And before his crucifixion, <coughs> before his crucifixion, he took his disciples into the upper room and he breaks bread and he speaks of his broken body and he shares with them the fruit of the vine and he speaks of his shed blood, but they still didn't quite get it. They still didn't really understand. So when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, his followers were completely devastated. Look at the story. Because they really had forgotten what Jesus had said, and most of them were still failing to connect the dots. The tomb was now empty, and even then they did not really believe. It was not until they saw him, and he repeatedly appeared to them and said, Look at me, touch me, know that I'm alive, and that I've done everything that I promised that I would do. So, in a day when so many do not believe, how do we deal with the doubters. See, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus is one of the most substantiated facts in human history. The Word of God tells us that what the Lord was doing those 40 days, Acts 1 and 3, He said He showed Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let me just quickly share with you some of the testimonials from the Bible to the doubters. The first proof is the testimony from an angel himself, Matthew 28, 5 and 6. It says, but the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. So the angel says he's resurrected. That's convincing proof. There's also the testimony of the woman uh, as they, women as they departed from the tomb, Matthew 28 and verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held his feet, uh, held him by the feet and worshiped him. So here's more convincing proof. 
Now Jesus, Jesus later appeared to all 11 as they ate, even when they had not believed like they should. And here's what he said to them in Mark chapter 16, 14. Later, he appeared to the 11. These are the doubting disciples. As they sat at the table, and notice what it says. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. <coughs> said Jesus rebuked them because they did not believe. They didn't even believe the testimony of the eyewitnesses. There's also the testimony of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, John 21, 1 through 2. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were all together. So not only does it tell us who he, uh, that he showed himself, it tells us who he showed himself to. Then there was the testimony of Cleopas another, and another man as they walked on the road to Emmaus, Mark 16, 12 through 13. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, notice, but they did not believe them either. What happened here? I mean, Jesus has been telling them, they've been telling them about the kingdom of God, and then he shows himself to two people, and what is it? They go and tell everybody, and they did not believe them either. Then there was a testimony of over 500 people at one time, 1 Corinthians 15 and 6. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. What that means is, is at the time of the writing, Paul was saying he showed himself to 500 people. Most of them are still alive. Some of them have fallen asleep. He said, but he showed himself to over 500 at one time. Friends, that's convincing proof if you believe the Bible. That is convincing proof. There also is the proof of the consistent testimony of everybody who saw him following his resurrection. Look at Acts 3, 14 through 16. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And don't forget the last sentence. We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this. We saw it. And folks, if that's not enough for you, I'm going to give you one more. The words of Jesus himself. Luke 24, 36 through 39. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Why, does doubt, why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then he said, Look, behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus said, look at me. Touch me. Feel my hands. Feel my feet. Feel the, the nail scars. Look at me. He said, here I am. Now, I've given you an account of the many testimonies throughout the Scripture that verify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and they prove his life-changing power. But to the doubters, the problem of all these points ought to be obvious. What are they? They all come from the Bible, <laughs> right? I mean, let's just be real. I've just given you a long list. It ought to strengthen your faith. But you know why it strengthens your faith? You believe in the Bible. We believe in the Bible. We have faith. 
So even though some of these can also be substantiated from other non-biblical proofs, and I'm not going to go into all that, let's just concede for a moment that most of these proofs are from the Bible. How do you deal, then, with the doubters of the resurrection? Well, I want to tell you today, there's one more group of testimonials that are among the greatest of them all. There is one more testimony that demonstrates the truth of the gospel message greater than any of these that I've just read to you. Some people may not believe in the Bible, but there is one more convincing proof that they cannot argue with. Some people might have issues with religion and faith, but there is a testimony that even those who don't believe in religion cannot argue with you about. Are you ready? The greatest testimony and proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes straight from you. The greatest testimony comes from you, a blood-bought, spirit-filled believer in Jesus who has been eternally changed. Thank you, Joe. You recognize that the struggle is real. I want to stop and say this to you. When you are dealing with a doubter, the greatest proof of the resurrection is your life. It is your testimony. Folks might not believe in your Bible, but they cannot deny your story. You might not like my church. You might not like my religion. You might not like my convictions. You might not like the way I lead my life, but you can never take away what Jesus has done for me. Amen? Like the old song says, you don't know like I know what he has done for me. Somebody ought to give him a praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. You might argue with me over doctrine or my theology, but you cannot argue with me over my deliverance. Hallelujah. You cannot argue with me over my deliverance. Tell me Jesus is not alive and he is not real, and I will introduce you to Robert and April Jones. Come on, tell me Jesus is not alive and he's not real. I will tell you to go sit down and talk to Eddie Wilbur, amen. Tell me Jesus does not heal and I will introduce you to Carl Johnson who was almost killed on 295. He got hit head on on 295 by a drunk driver driving on the wrong side of the interstate. And Carl Johnson is here today to give testimony that my God is alive. Oh, come on, somebody. Tell me Jesus is not real, and I will introduce you to my wife who he healed of cancer. Tell me Jesus is not real, and I will tell you my story as a 15-year-old boy bound by drugs and alcohol, how God set me free. Somebody ought to get excited today about your story. Why don't you give God a praise right now? Hallelujah. 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 I came to remind somebody here today, the devil's been beating up on you. He's been making you doubt. I came to remind you of the day of your conversion. I came to remind you of the day that God set you free. I came to help you remember the day you repented of your sins and you got your life turned around. I came to remind you of the day that Jesus came into your life and changed you. Don't let the devil, don't let the doubters rob you of your story. Let's give him a praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Tell me that Easter is just some feel-good story. And I'll tell you about Carter and Dana Cobb walking into this church and interviewing me because they felt like God had led them to turn their life around and to get right with God. Tell me that God is not real. And I'll tell you about my father who after open-heart surgery at the age of 70 years old, I told him, I said, Dad, God has allowed you to live so you could get right with him. And I had a lot of religious conversations with my father over the years. And you know what I always got? That's what I got. But I remember when God told me in that hospital courtyard when I was praying, Dad had been on the ventilator for 28 days, and they had called us in three times to tell us he was about to die. And I remember sitting in the courtyard, and I said, God, either let him live or take him now because we can't deal with this anymore. And God doesn't always talk to me like this. But I remember the Lord spoke to me very clearly and he said, I am going to extend the years of your father's life because of your prayers and your mother's prayers so that he can have an opportunity to get right with me. And I felt the peace of God come over me. And I'm telling you, I felt the peace of God. I got up from that little bench. I walked right into the ICU. My dad was still on the ventilator, and I leaned down, and I told him, I said, Dad, you will not die. You will live because God has given you a chance to repent of your sins and get right with him. He didn't reply then because he was on a ventilator. But when he got better, I had a conversation with him, and tears welled up in his eyes, and that was all I got, this and some tears. But a few months later, He called me, and he said, I'm ready to be baptized. And I remember the day. I wish I had brought some pictures to put up on the screen for you. And I remember the day I baptized my dad, July 20th, 2014. Did God heal his body? Well, he extended his life. He got sicker and sicker and sicker up until just recently. But you know what? I reminded my mother. God gave us five bonus years. My father should have died in 2014. He should have died in 2014. But God reached down and told me he was going to let him live. And he told him he was going to give him a chance to get right. Thank God my dad took advantage of that opportunity. And I believe that he got right with God. I believe he's serving the Lord. And I believe he's in heaven right now rejoicing over the decision that he made. So the next time somebody tries to argue with my theology, I'm going to tell them, you didn't know my 70-year-old father, and you didn't see the change in his life. You didn't see how that he always cried now when gospel music came on. You didn't see how that he would go to the altar and he would stand there and not pray. He wasn't a boisterous man, but he would stand there with tears running down his face. You didn't see that. You didn't see the times when my mom saw him praying and he didn't know that he saw her praying. And she said, buddy, I don't understand. I don't see your dad's lips are moving. I don't understand what he's saying. I think he might be speaking in tongues. I said, well, man, don't interrupt him, mom. Let him pray. Let him pray. You see, let me just say this. God doesn't work through any of us the same way. We don't live our lives the same way. And I do not advise for you to wait till you're 70 70 years old to get right with God. But let me tell you, the next time somebody doubts your God, you need to remember what God did for you. The greatest testimony of Jesus Christ is your story, your life. Next time you feel weak in your faith, I want you to remember that the devil cannot even stand against your testimony. He can't. Revelation 12, verse 11, and they overcame him, 
by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Do you know how you overcome the devil? By the blood of Jesus and by your personal story of how he saved your life. Devil, I am the proof of the resurrection. I am the proof of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. <coughs> you know what I'm looking at? A room full of proof. I'm looking at a room full of proof. I don't need a stack of historical documents. I don't need a video series. I don't need them to dig up another biblical city out of the ruins of Jordan or Israel. All I need to do is look at Joseph Johnson. All I need to do is look at Chris. All I need to do is look at Joe. All I need to do is look at Dan. All I need to do is look in the mirror to know that Jesus is alive. And so today I drove all the way home from my mother's house to remind some of you of what God has done for you and how he has delivered you. Don't doubt what he's done in your life. Don't doubt how he set you free. Hear me, I'm talking to somebody else right now. Don't doubt him just because you fell flat on your face. Don't doubt him because you messed up. He's still real and what he did in your life is still real. Don't doubt him because you're not perfect. Guess what? There was only one perfect man. They nailed him to the cross. He was not you. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. The Jesus this world now sees is the Jesus that they see in you and in me. Quit letting the doubters talk you out of your testimony. Stop letting the quitters who walked away from the faith tell you that you can't make it, amen? You just look them in the eye, and why don't you just get a little ornery and say, just because you quit doesn't mean I'm going to quit, amen? See, a personal testimony is still the most powerful form of communication. Turn on your TV and see the proof. I drive a Ford, you ought to drive a Ford too. Weight Watchers, I lost 50 pounds, you can too. <laughs> I wash my clothes with Tide. Look at my t-shirt, you ought to use Tide too. See, it's the power of the testimony. Why do, we, they, why do they use that? Because it's still the most powerful form of communication, a personal story. And did you know the Bible is full of many, many examples of people sharing their story? David, in Psalm 66, 16, they don't have these scriptures, says, come and listen and I'll tell you what God's done for me. That's what David said. The woman at the well in John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans of the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's what it said. The man born blind, John 9, 25. I once was blind, but now I see. I love that story. The Pharisees are debating him. They're talking about who he is, who, he, who he's not. They don't like the fact. And all the blind man can say is, you know what? I used to be blind, but now I can see. So you can say what you want to say about him. But he has changed my world. He has changed my world. Paul, on six different occasions, used his personal story in Acts 22 through Acts 26 to share the gospel with unbelievers. If you don't believe in the power of a personal story, look how Paul reached the world. See, your testimony might be, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the theology down. All I know is Jesus Christ changed my life. Guess what? That's more than enough. 
that's more than enough. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be the sword drill winner when you're 13 years old. Does anybody know what a sword drill is? Y'all still remember? When we were in Sunday school, they used to give us our Bibles, and we would all have our Bibles. That's when people used to actually carry Bibles to church, by the way. And they would all give us our Bibles, and then the teacher would say, turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and everybody would race, and there was always one kid who always smoked the rest of us. See, you don't have to be that person. You don't have to be able to argue religion. All you have to do is say, Jesus Christ changed my life. Did you know I believe in our postmodern world, your story is your most effective witness? It is. A lot of people today aren't going to listen to the Bible. Matter of fact, a lot of people are sick of the Bible. But they'll listen to you. They'll listen to your story. So you need to share it with confidence. Can I challenge you right now? Can I make a challenge to you? If the people on your job don't know you're a Christian, what are you waiting on? If they don't know you're a Christian, what are you waiting? Ah, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, you don't, I hope you don't want to offend Jesus because Jesus is offended. If my wife never told anybody how much she loved me and how awesome I was and how glad she was she was married to me, it might hurt my feelings a little bit. You know, I wonder sometimes if Jesus stands back and goes, do they really appreciate what I did for them? Because they haven't told anybody about it. They haven't shared it with anybody. You see, the Bible tells us, look at 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. Now, I want you to notice, for the hope that is in you. Now, it doesn't say you have to give a defense of your doctrine. It says we need to share our hope. Share our hope. You want to know why? Faith and doctrine is what you believe. Hope is the benefit of what you believe. Hope is the byproduct of having a walk with God. Amen? Share what difference Jesus has made in your life. See, people want to know why you became a Christian more than how you became a Christian. Don't miss that. I don't want you to miss that. People want to know why. You became a Christian more than they want to know how you became a Christian. Because if you can share with them the why, eventually they may want to know the how, and then they will do the what. Amen? Then they will do the what. They want to know what difference did he make. If I could be more practical, some of them are just asking, is there any solution to my problems like what God did for your life? Is there any advantage of me becoming a Christian? Can he turn my life around to share the hope. I came to encourage somebody here today. Musicians and praise team and prayer team, come on up. I came to encourage somebody here today who's been doubting God in your life. And maybe there's just a handful of you. But hear me. You either need to get your own testimony by getting right with God, number one, or You need to remember what the Lord has already done for you in your life and rejoice in it and start sharing the hope with others. Amen? I want you to stand with me all over this house. I've only preached for 32 minutes this morning. Because hear me, your presence in church today, 
is a convincing proof of the grace of God in your life. Yes, it is. Doug, I don't want to embarrass you. Doug, raise your hand. Doug, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Doug's gone through a lot in his life. He's had a lot of struggles. He's dealt with a lot of issues. But guess where you are today, Doug? Row four, chair two. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Dan, I see you back there. You're one of my favorite choir members. You want to know why? Because a lot of times when the rest of them are just standing there, you're doing this. Arms straight up high. Hey, Dan, I got a personal message for you. You're not perfect, and God doesn't want you to be. He loves you just like you are. Hallelujah. You came too late to tell me he's not real. Because I know what he did for a 15-year-old boy whose life was going nowhere. I know what he did for a young man who was bound by drugs and alcohol and who had been expelled from his school for selling quaaludes. You came too late to tell me. Because you don't know like I know what the Lord did for me. He's real. And to every doubter and every skeptic, I just want you to know, whether you believe my Bible or my religion or my, or, 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 or my historical facts, you can't deny what God has done in my life. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, uh, nor homosexuals, offenders. Uh, we, there's a different version up there. Uh, let me go by this. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 11. But look, and such were some of you. Everybody say were. <laughs> All that list of junk. Liars, cheaters, thieves, homosexuals, you name it, the whole long list. Drunkards. It says, here's the big list. And such were some of you. Why don't you read this one with me out loud? Can you do it? But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Somebody give him a praise. Hallelujah! Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. They used to say it, I may not be what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. So I'm going to open up this altar right now. And I want every grateful child of God to step out from where you are and come down and say, God, I thank you for my story. I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for the way you turned me around. And if you don't have a story yet, I invite you to come forward and repent of your sins and invite God into your life. Invite Christ into your heart. Ask Him to move in your life. Come on, I invite you to come. If you've never been water baptized, we'll baptize you. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God can fill you today. Let's rejoice right now.
your story. <gasps>